2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, if you brought a Bible, or if you have a phone where you can get to God's word, 2 Timothy 1, 10. The verses are going to be on the screens for you, so you can follow along there. Here's what Paul has to say. He says, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. Pause right there. That's a huge accomplishment, right? Jesus has destroyed death. What do you do today? <laughs> That's a big deal. Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. One more time, because this is our whole consideration. This last phrase says, Christ Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I remember reading that verse, and it was as though it was the first time I had read it, even though I had probably read it before. And don't you love how the Bible can just do that? How you could read, it's a verse you read a billion times, but all of a sudden you see something you didn't see was there before. And that's because this is a living book. Unlike a novel by John Grisham that you'll read beginning to end, close and say, that's that, I got it. The Bible is alive and God's Holy Spirit is always seeking to give you fresh revelation. And so there's always something new. There's always something that, that, that's unexpected that he's going to speak to you and whisper to you. So I, I read this first. It was in a reading plan. My wife and I each year go through a reading plan on the YouVersion app. I recommend it to every married couple, dating couple. It, it, you just, if you both read the same plan, you may not get the ideal 30 minutes of devotions together each day that every couple wishes and feels convicted about not having, you know? Like, what do you and your wife do devotionally? Well, we both are doing good if we can each get our own quiet time and then every once in a while talk about what we've been reading. But as long as if you're reading the same exact thing, you'll have something in common to talk about. Pro tip. So we always pick the same plans. And uh, I remember reading 2 Timothy 1.10 in my plan. And it just like, it was like a, a spotlight shone on that verse. And it just was an epiphany moment. Jesus destroyed death. That's awesome. That's so punk rock of him to do that. Gosh, I got to thank him for that later. Well, I sent my assistant an email from reading it. It was November 2012. I sent her an email out of the blue and said, please put this verse on our Lusco family Christmas card. We were getting ready to put a verse on a card. And I said, that's the one. Then later on, my wife, she, she, uh, we're, we were talking and I said, hey, I picked out a verse for our Christmas card. It was in our reading plan today, 2 Timothy 1.10. That's the one I think we should put. She goes, Levi, that's the craziest thing. When I read that today, I thought we should put that on our Christmas card. We both just looked at each other and then made out. No, we didn't do that, but we could because we're married. And here's what's funny about us both thinking that. It's not a super Christmassy verse. Know what I'm saying? Like, it's totally fine. Nothing, I'm not trying to knock it or anything. It just doesn't have the mouthfeel of, of eggnog. You know what I'm saying? Like, when was the last time you put a verse on your Christmas card with the word death in it, right? Like, rump-a-pum-pum, you know? It's definitely got a more Easter overtone with an apricot finish and a little grapefruit. Don't you love how they describe coffee now? I'm in comments the other day, a good coffee. Like, oh yes, this one has this one has the mouthfeel of a rhinoceros. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you say that? But they just are saying obscure things. Like, oh, this one makes you feel like you're a lilac. Okay, great. And so uh, anyhow, it went on our Christmas card. Well, in time, this decision turned out to not only be appropriate, it, it happened to almost be prophetic. You see, it was just a month later, the month of December 2012, 
when five days before Christmas on December 20th, we were wrapping Christmas presents and getting ready to celebrate the most wonderful time of the year. When our second born of four daughters, oh, this is a picture over here. This is our little girl, Lenya. This is our second born daughter. She was five years old there wearing a little face paint at a church event. And, and uh, well, she was, uh, she was there with her sisters and she began to have an asthma attack. Now let me pause right there and tell you, I've had asthma since the third grade. Any other asthmatics in the house? Weezers, unite, right? We'll get together after the service and puff our inhaler. No, we will not do that. That wouldn't be appropriate. Why did I say that? I I don't even know. But we do have prescriptions, so. (laughs) Albuterol. Well, like I said, asthma since the third grade, it's just a normal part of my life. I have my inhaler in my backpack. I mean, you get you wheezy, you take a little puff, you're, you're good. And, uh, and my oldest daughter, Olivia, has asthma, and, and, uh, and my, my daughter, Linya, uh, same thing. And, and so it was very normal. You get an attack, you take the medicine, life goes back to normal. Well, on this cold evening, uh, the medicine didn't help. And uh, after taking it, uh, she not only didn't have any help in breathing better, she stopped breathing entirely. And then her heart stopped beating. And so now we're doing CPR. I'm breathing in, into, her, into her lungs myself. We're calling 911. We're praying and, and calling out to Jesus, who we believe can touch her if, if, he, if he chose to. Just a moment of time, he could heal her. But he didn't. We had the faith to believe that the mountain could move. We believed that the sun could stand still. But instead, we watched it set. She went from my arms to the arms of her heavenly father. Linya the lion, that's what we called her, Linya lion. She went home for Christmas. And it wouldn't be too much longer after that that we were asked to make one of a series of impossible decisions. They asked us, what do you want her gravestone to say? When we chisel this inscription on this plaque, what do you want to say on there, on, your, on, the, on, the, on the tombstone of your kindergarten daughter? Well, my wife and I, we both looked at each other and we knew exactly what we wanted it to say. We wanted it to read as it does today, as we saw just two days ago when we went to visit and brought our new dog by the graveyard. We wanted it to say, Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And it is that and only that that enabled us to go through that fiery trial and not be burned, to pass through those deep waters and not be drowned, to go through our most difficult day we wouldn't even dream up in our worst nightmares and to still be praising God and thanking him and walking in his blessing and walking in his favor and believing that he's good. I'm telling you, today I came to Zoe Church to celebrate the goodness of God even when life is hard. And I'll always be grateful to your leaders, Pastor Chad, not once, but two times, 2013 and 2014, gave up during his Christmas season time to come on the anniversary of Linya going to heaven, the first and the second, to preach at our church so that my family could rest and recuperate on those difficult days. And he came to hold our arms up in our weakness. And so I I, I honor him and honor his family for their sacrifice and for the way they have so courageously gone through a different but very, very fiery trial as they have so magnanimously offering that unreasonable hope to anybody who will listen. Come on, Zoe, we're linked up in this. And I got, you better believe I got that G thing. And, uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about this, this idea of turning off the dark. Um, 
Jesus, the immortality, the life, the gospel, all this that we find here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, you know, there's a connection. I told you that the verse seems like a strange verse for a Christmas card, but the connection is this. The reason there ever was a Christmas is so there could be an Easter. Jesus came, the very purpose of, the, the verse I picked couldn't be more perfect for Christmas. The reason that baby boy filled up that manger was so he could grow up and die on the cross and rise from the dead. The purpose of Christmas is Easter, not just for him, but for us as well. And there's nothing that we need more than this, this mission he came on. Hebrews 2 verse 15 puts it this way. He came that through, uh, he came rather to release those who through fear of death were all of their lifetime subject to bondage. Listen to what this verse is saying. It's saying that we all of our lives are chained to the fear of death. That's true, isn't it? You know, people that come from different places have different clothing that they wear. And uh, people in, in Montana wear tight jeans, but it's the tight Wrangler cowboy jeans. People in LA wear tight jeans of a different nature. All right, but, but, but we're people are people. We, 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 we like different kinds of food and we, we drink our coffee, some of us, you know, with milk and, you know, Splenda in it. And others of us are Christians and drink it black. We all just have different styles of, <laughs> of living. But at the end of the day, people are people. Here's what I've learned about people. Cut to the essence. Every single person has a sense of guilt, has an emptiness inside they're trying to fill, and has a fear of death that they're trying to do something about. And this text is addressing all of those things. All of our lives, we've been subject to bondage, subject to futility, subject to emptiness, looking for meaning, looking for longing. We're all on a quest. You've been on a quest since you were born, a quest to, to find the meaning of life. And nothing in this world can satisfy. There's always going to be a need for something more. Happiness is always at the next shelf, isn't it? So we're always looking for something. You get paid, well, I need more money. You get this big card, now I need that. You're not flying in first class, but you're not flying on the private jet. There's always a next level. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes detail Solomon's attempt to figure out wisdom and to figure out the meaning of life. And he basically said, every time I thought I caught the pot of gold, it moved. Every time I thought I could grab the wind, it would pass through my fingers. It was, it was always out of reach. And, and, and at the end of the day, we all die. I mean, when you step back and look at it, it's like, what is the point of life, really? I mean, you're born. Up until then, you've had it really good. You've, life was one giant hot tub, and you ate food out of your belly button, and you didn't have to wear any pants. But then you had to go and get born. The moment you're born, they cut off your food supply. A, a, a random person is spanking you, and then what? They're putting pants on you. Yanked out of your hot tub into the cold, harsh world. Pretty soon you're shoved off to school and it's like, gotta get good grades, gotta get good grades. Like, why, why, why? Well, so you can get to a good school. Oh, gotta get into a good school, gotta get into a good school. Why? So you can get a good job. Oh, I gotta get a job, gotta get a job. Why? So you can get a hot wife. Okay, gotta get a hot wife, gotta have a wife. <laughs> why? So you can have kids. Gotta have good kids. Why? So they can go to school. <laughs> <laughs> and if you put up with enough of this for long enough, eventually your big reward is what? You get to retire. And then what? Sit around? Buy an RV, move to Florida, wait to die. <laughs> Fortunately, in this phase of your life, once again, you don't have to wear pants, only now you're too crazy to enjoy it. <laughs> but there's all, for all of us, a, a desire to understand what's going to happen to us when we die. And that's what Jesus came to take care of. Jesus came to unshackle us from this slavish fear of death. There's nothing we need more. Why? 
We desperately need hope. We need peace. We need answers. And Jesus gives us all three. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection. Anybody who believes in me will live. But he, he didn't just say that. Anybody could say that. But he demonstrated it. He demonstrated it when he died on the cross for our sins and when he rose from the dead on the third day. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, that's the game changer. People are like, why do you believe in Jesus? There's so many different ways out there. Well, listen, I'll listen to you or Muhammad or Buddha or anybody else who has something to say about the afterlife. All you got to do is de be dead and then not be dead anymore. And I'll listen to you. Until then, I'm going with a guy who got up from the grave who could use someone's tomb like we we go into a hotel room. Only need it for the weekend. Like it's like there's something like a big tip right there when Jesus borrowed Joseph of Arimathea's grave. I could borrow five dollars from you. If I'm moving, I might say, could I borrow your truck? Which is enough reason for me to never buy a truck. <laughs> but it's very tricky to borrow a grave. Those are generally long-term transactions, you know? But Jesus, Jesus just borrowed it. Even Joseph Arimathea is like, dude, you left your clothes. When are you going to come by and get your clothes? You left them in my grave and all of that. So, so Jesus destroyed death. How did he do it? He came on this mission called Christmas to destroy death. How, how did he accomplish it successfully? In the most unlikely way ever, by dying. Look at the rest of Hebrews chapter 2. It's verse 14 now. It says that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil. How are you going to kill that guy? I'm going to let him kill me. That will not work. But it worked for Jesus. He took the devil's greatest weapon, death, that he's trying to defeat, and he, he tasted it. He experienced it personally. He died vicariously. Jesus pulled a Katniss Everdeen and volunteered as tribute. There was a death sentence on all of us for sin, so he died for us. Your sin was the problem. Your death was the problem. So his death on the cross and his resurrection was the solution. You know, Jesus, one of his nicknames is the son of David. David uh, the first was just like David the second. You see, just as Jesus destroyed death by dying, so King David, he killed Goliath of Gath. Goliath, that great big giant he killed. The guy with six fingers on his, on his hands, kind of like Princess Bride. <laughs> That's what the Bible says about Goliath. It's the craziest detail. The Bible, the Bible's full of crazy little details like that. People will be like, the Bible's boring. I'm like, have you ever read the Bible? Look amazing. So David knocks down Goliath with a stone. Then the Bible says he goes up and pulls Goliath's own sword out and hacks his head off with it. I guarantee you that part of the story is not being talked about in Zoe Kids today. <laughs> Little Billy's like, I'm going to need some more red and therapy. No, we conveniently censor them for the children, right? We just, just tell them about the slingshot. But, but just as David hacked Goliath's head off with his own sword, Jesus destroyed the devil with the greatest weapon he's ever had because Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead and has destroyed death and has brought out of it life and immortality to light through the gospel. Celebrate it. Come on. This is the best thing that's ever happened. And you're like, OK, I would clap, but how come we still got to die? Right? Like, if it's destroyed death, if he destroyed death, why do we still have to die? Because for something that's been destroyed, it's still operating at quite a high capacity, considering the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of every one, right? It gets us all. 
Here, here's how. The word destroyed, you, you can jot this down in your Bibles, in your notes. Uh, the word destroyed is a very technical word in the Greek. It is used to describe a future event in the past tense. A future event. So it hasn't happened yet, but it's in the past tense because it's, it's so sure to happen that it can be described as a fact already. Only God gets to use this kind of verbiage, by the way, right? Like you can't describe something you're going to do next year as so certain that you're going to do it that you already describe it as having done it. Because there are like approximately 1.2 billion things that could keep you from doing what you said you're going to do. We can't even be sure that our planes are going to take off on time, right? Like I sat on the LAX tarmac after landing for like 30 minutes because they couldn't get the jet bridge open. I'm like, get the joystick, people. Just, just, just let us to the stairs down. We will, we will open the, the, the raft. I will swim just to shore if I... <laughs> there are so many things where you just are out of control. Not God. God never has to talk to us like we talk to our kids. Parents in the house? We, there's like three of you. Well, wonderful. Well, get, get, get to work on that. Come on, guys. I know you're all focused on your career and being skinny and stuff here in Los Angeles, drinking your green juices, but, you know. When you do get to be a parent one day, you have to talk to your children like attorneys. You have to carefully craft all of your communication with them because they will take anything you say and hold it against you, right? You said, you promised. I said I would try, right? So, so in the end, you have to like very, very carefully, like we will make an attempt to visit Pinkberry in the next 11 months and purchase shoes that are new to you. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is end up in, in court because you didn't take your kid to frozen yogurt, you know? It's, it's unbelievable. And they smell fear, so don't forget that. But besides that, parenting's great. So God, he never has to leave any wiggle room in his promises any buffer in anything he said. So when he says death is destroyed, the full culmination of that hasn't been exacted yet, but it's so sure that he will do it that he could talk about it as though we're already done. Because when he got up from the grave, he kicked death's teeth in, and one day we'll fully carry that out on all of death completely to the end that there will be no more death, no more disease, no more crying, no more crime, no more cancer. These former things will have passed away. So how does that work exactly? Well, currently right now, any Christian who dies is with Christ as their soul in heaven, your body and soul. Your soul's in heaven the moment you die. You don't pass go, collect $200, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, okay? The body that goes into the ground of a believer goes into the ground like a seed. As pastors, we always say, we commit this body to the ground until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What if we're cremated? Doesn't matter. He made us out of dust. He can remake us out of one molecule, yo. The matter is neither created nor destroyed. He'll find you. I'm at the bottom of the sea. He'll know where you are. He'll bring you back to He's good. So, so, so Proverbs 3.20, listen to what Proverbs says about the resurrection of the dead. It says, uh, I think it's Proverbs 321, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. 
He is going to raise your body from the dead. Your spirit, which is with Christ, is going to come back into this glorified body, and you will live forever in a perfect body that will never get sick, never get old, never get tired, will walk through walls, eat stuff, and live in it forever. So that's what's going to happen. And in that day, death will have been destroyed. And it's so certain that's going to happen. He can talk about it like it already did. How punk rock is our God. Amazing. So, so that's what's going to happen. He's going to turn off the dark, and we can celebrate it and live from there now. I want to end this message by giving you four ways to turn off the dark inside your heart until that day. Until death is finally destroyed, how do we walk in that power, walk in that authority? And I hope you'll take notes and jot them down. These are, I guess you could say, four ways to make it through Saturday. Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. It's the day between Friday and, and Sunday, right? We're kind of today living in a Saturday. What on earth do you mean? Oh, oh, back when Jesus died on the cross, it was on a good Friday. Friday. And he rose from the dead on Easter. Sunday. In between, there's a day that don't get a lot of play. Saturday. But I think it would have actually been the hardest part. Because Friday would have been traumatizing. They were in shock Friday. They were caught against their guard. Like they were running in the guard and the next thing they know he's on the cross. I talked to one of our staff members whose brother just got killed in the Inland Empire in a car accident yesterday. And I heard in his voice what I recognized from my own heart, that, that, that tr blind trauma, that grief stricken shock where you, don't, you can hardly even process words you're saying. So Friday would have been like that. Sunday would have been exhilarating. Sunday would have been yippee and fireworks and awesome, right? Because he's alive, he's walking through walls, great day. He's showing up on the road to Emmaus. I don't have time to get into it, but that's one of the best stories in the Bible. Two guys just walking. Dur, 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 dur. Jesus shows up but disguises himself. He's got like the fake nose and mustache. He's like, hey guys, why are you so sad? They're like, oh, Jesus got killed. He was the best. And Jesus is like, ha, 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 ha. what happened to him? <laughs> like winking at the camera. Like this, is, this actually happened. And they're like, well, Jesus, oh man, he's, he's the best. Too bad they killed him. Had a lot of potential. His miracles were awesome. Jesus says, tell me more about him. <laughs> Let, plays along with this all the way to their house where they break bread and then they see who he is, but he disappears. Like a hot air balloon, like a phantom, just gone. Just... No bearing on my message. I just think it's a great story. <laughs> but Saturday is the day in between Friday and Sunday. And think about how Saturday would have been. Because Saturday, his body was cold and dead in that tomb. Saturday, he was going to rise, but hadn't yet. Today, we sort of live in an age of Saturday in many ways. And many of us experience it in different capacities. Anytime God chooses to not give the miracle that we believe he can, we're waiting for Saturday. Saturday is the person who's going to get a brand new body, but currently is in a wheelchair. Saturday is the person who's going to one day get to be with their husband again, but, but currently he's gone before them to paradise. Saturday is the empty seat at the dinner table. Saturday is the chronic pain. Saturday is the, the fits of depression that come on us. We all encounter Saturday in different capacities. So here's four ways to make it through to our Sunday. First one, jot this down. Don't rely on the naked eye. We're going to go fast, but don't rely on the naked eye. You cannot trust your eyesight. You must walk by faith and not by sight. Here's an example. Look up tonight when the sun sets into the LA sky. Count how many stars you'll be able to see. The majority of large cities in America, they say the most stars on a clear night you'll ever see is 500. 250 is, is average. 
But if you come visit me in, in Montana, look up on a clear night, you can count as many as 5,000 visible stars. Go stargazing in Los Angeles, you'll be like, well, I see one. That's an airplane. <laughs> but here's what's crazy to remember. When you look up and see no stars, just remember, though I can't see them, they're still there. Right now, spiritually speaking, so much is happening. We can't see angels and demons. God's Holy Spirit's moving. He's building his kingdom, heaven and hell. I know the rat race and life here and Instagram followers and how much money and how much weight you've lost it seems so important. It seems so urgent. But there's an eternal, unseen thing happening. And it's the unseen, eternal thing that matters more than any physical thing you could quantify or qualify. And got to see through the right lens of faith. Don't rely on the naked eye. Use the scripture to be your guide. Yeah. Second point, train for the trial you're not yet in. You got to train for the trial you're not yet in. Do you know about the worst time to train for a marathon? What, what it would be when you're in one? You want to have had some practice runs. Well, I figured I'd be running, so that would be my training. That's not a good idea. You want to have a foundation in place before the storm comes. And the best thing you can do that to do that would be to plant yourself in the house of God, to get your roots so deep down into this soil so that when the difficult day comes, there are people in your life positioned and postured to help you in the ways that you'll need it. Do you have a connect group around you who's rallying around you, who if, if something went bad in your life this week, they're ready to spring into action with meals. They're at the hospital praying for you, texting you the right encouraging things. Or are you going to be trying to find that? You cannot get, show up in a trial and then hope to build a foundation. Now is the time to build a foundation for the storm that's coming tomorrow. God's trying to build you up so you're so wise. When you give your tithe in a good season and it sends your heart to heaven, then in a difficult season, your heart's already there, keeping you held tight. You've already hidden the verse in your heart on a good day. So, so, so plant yourself in God's house. You'll flourish in his courts. Or to put it another way. Best way to make it through Saturday is to never miss out on being in God's house on the Sunday, y'all. Third point, let God use your pain. Let God use your pain. This is going to sound almost insensitive, but I want to say this to you, and I hope you'll hold on to it, especially if you're really hurting right now, if your eyes are blinded from the pain of searing loss. It's actually an incredible honor to be trusted with the stewardship of suffering. It's a grace. Charles Spurgeon, a man called the Prince of Preachers, kind of the Chad Veach of the ancient Puritan you know, in New England, he preached a megachurch before there was one. 10,000 people he would preach to with no microphone. Guy was punk rock. No podcast, so they would print his sermons in the newspaper the next week so people could read them who couldn't fit into his church building. He had this to say, God grants his most difficult assignments to his most trusted soldiers. You see, because crushing re releases anointing, and God is near to the broken heart. So when you're going through something difficult, God leans in and shows himself to you in ways you could never experience if you weren't hurting and trusting him in that way. Like Corey Ten Boom said, you, you, sometimes you, you won't know God is all you need till he's all you have. So when you go through something in that way, it forces you to grow muscles of faith. You couldn't get any other way. And so when God allows you to go through something difficult, it's because he's preparing you for something spectacular. He's trying to give you, through your impossible pain, an incredible power, an anointing for things you would never dream of, that you'd be trusted and trustworthy to go through those days. Look at any person in the Bible who is used significantly. They also have this in common. At the beginning of their story, they suffered massively. 
So God sees much in you and much he wants to bring out of you. And that's why he's allowed you to face what you have. He could have caused the sun to not set, but he doesn't when he does act and doesn't act on, on purpose and intentionally so. so. You gotta train for the trial you're not yet in and let God use your pain. Uh, don't be selfish with this gift. Open your eyes and see who could you reach that you would not be positioned to touch had you not gone through this difficult season. My wife, Jenny, the night Lenny went to heaven in the hospital parking lot before we left, she said to me, you gotta go back in there and invite those people. You forgot to invite them to church, Levi. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. Like, what? No, I'm not going back in there. It was so hard to leave. But she hands me invitations to our church, to Fresh Life Christmas. I go back in the ER and I invited everyone I could find. And three people from the ER came to our church Christmas Eve and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. If you are willing to, God will use you in your pain. I think your pastors are a great example of that in the way they've leveraged what is such a difficult thing and they've used it to help other people out. And they've become an example to so many parents of special needs children all over the world that, uh, that God can use you in that season. And little Georgia, we're so thankful for her. And uh, all right, there's a fourth worship team. Come on out here. The last thing I want to tell you, this is some really good news. All day Saturday long, anytime you need to, listen, you can cue the eagle. You like that? You're like, what the heck does that mean? I'll explain. There's a scene in The Lord of the Rings. You know that movie? You're like, which one? I don't know. There's like 19 of them. They all blend together. They have hobbits with hairy feet. I'm not sure. But I know this. In one of the movies, there's a scene I have it in my mind's eye. And it's this picture of Gandalf the Grey on that giant pillar, like a billion feet up in the air. Any, any, any Lord of the Rings fans in the house? Nerd. All right. You're like, that's Saruman's tower. I'm like, I don't even care. And I just offended my audience, which as a speaker is not what you want to do. I'm sorry. I love you. Let's make up. And to Jenny, let's make out. And so Gandalf's about to die on the tower, about to get knocked off. But right at the last minute, you know what happens. Because he had taken his staff and like whispered on it and butterflies came out. What am I even talking about? How can I preach out of that? I'm off the reservation, guys. But we'll go with it. He whispers into his staff, little butterflies fly away. And then at the last second, when he jumps off the tower, he doesn't die. Why? Because a giant eagle swooped out of nowhere that he had summoned, that he had cued. And the eagle carried him away to safely, to safety. Now, that is not in the Bible. You're like, I don't see Gandalf in my concordance. No. But the idea is actually ripped straight from the pages of Scripture. Did you know that? It's Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't know these verses, you should memorize them. You should hide them in your heart. Because here's what it says. It says, even the youths shall faint and be weary. The youths are the ones who have the most natural strength and vigor. It says, and the young men shall utterly fall. That, that is to say that life on this hard world sometimes is more than any of us can bear. I don't care if you do CrossFit leg day and don't limp up the stairs the next morning. Uh, but even the youth shall faint and get weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But listen to this part. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The good news is we have a Holy Spirit jet 
pack. There's an eagle waiting to bear us up when we get tired on Saturday and every day. All you got to do is call out to God and he'll give you new strength. He'll give you what you don't have to make it through what you got to get through. Come on, praise God if you believe we can cue the eagle. And I'll remember, I can never forget, just maybe a month or two after Lydia had gone to heaven, it was still winter. And I was in the graveyard, and I was slipping. Man, I was slipping. I just felt my soul spiraling down. It was so hard to not be overwhelmed. And, and I'm there by myself, and it's snowy, and I'm at the grave. And, and I'm just on my knees, and I'm just feeling like, I don't know if I can do this. This grief is just too overwhelming. I miss her too bad. It's too hard. And, and right there in the midst of it, a promise from Scripture came to my heart. It was from Psalm 73, 26. And it said, my heart and my flesh fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. And so I began to think about that verse. And I'm hitting the ground, but I'm going, God, my heart is failing. My flesh is failing. But you are my portion, and you are my strength, and you are my strength forever. And right then, I I lift up my eyes to the sky, and I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. A bald eagle is doing laps over the cemetery. Now, I'm not superstitious, but that was super special. And it was just what I needed in that moment to remember I wasn't alone, and God saw me and took care of me. He gave me the strength for that day, and he's given me the strength for every day. And I came to church to tell you that because of Jesus, Zoe Church, you can cue the eagle anytime you want to. You, you can call out on the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Demons, they tremble. Mountains, they crumble. Come on, let's lift up our voices. <laughs>